Excuse me. Uh, I've got a text message saying the president is speaking tonight in a few minutes. Do you know anything about this? Um, the internet says he's speaking on a matter of grave national security. Yeah, I've got the same thing. I've got a flight that's been canceled. Does that have anything to do with what you're talking about? Has there been you're... a terrorist attack? No. Well, wait, there's been a terrorist attack? No, there hasn't. I've got an email saying we're at war with Libya. Nope. You guys know what's going on, don't you? Folks, there hasn't been a terrorist attack. None of your friends and family are in danger. The president will be speaking in just a few no. minutes. No. Listen, they're just nervous. I don't because care. You do not take over control of the cabinet. They're getting emails and going online and seeing. You do not take over control of the cabin ever. Ma'am, sit down. No, and you know. I'm getting the captain. Yeah, get the captain, because I'd like to have a word with him. The seatbelt while we're standing still is one captain, thing, but how paranoid do you have to be to think that I'm declaring myself in charge of the? Is there a problem, sir? Yeah, I was just asking how paranoid you have to. You have to be. Sir. Sir. Captain, my name is Don Kiefer. That's Elliot Hirsch, and that's Sloan Sabbath. We work for Atlantis Cable News, and we wanted you and your first officer and flight attendant crazy lady to be the first ones on this plane to know that our armed forces killed Osama bin Laden for you tonight. You're serious? Yes, sir. Struggle session. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Shannon Strucci. And today on this episode, we are talking about you. You know, some people said our last episode about the Joker was a little bit too sick and twisted for them. They're scared <laughs> of that Joker guy. And I'm sorry to tell you, we found something even worse, even more sick and twisted. Instead of just coming from the mind of one madcap clown this is the distillation of a sickness of an entire society <laughs> this is what we're talking about today we are talking about the 9-11 issue of amazing spider-man amazing spider-man number 36 and we've brought on two people who have a podcast that's basically about diagnosing the pathology of america through um po uh, political cinema and that's uh will sloan and luke savage of the michael and us podcast thank you so much for joining us thanks for having us uh, glad to be here with uh with luke as sort of an abbott and costello like uh comedy <laughs> team yeah it's good to be back hey guys oh uh, yeah so thank you so much uh for coming back for this awful thing that i've asked you to look at i asked everyone on the podcast to read it this is actually my first time uh, reading it because you know the Did other you believe day... it's also my first time <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I do remember when it came out. I never read the whole thing. All I saw was, and and this is kind of a what what brought me to here and why we're doing this episode is the one page from this that we'll get into into later that shows the to- the towers are falling, the first responders are helping, and then the villains of the Marvel uh, universe also help. <laughs> Doctor Doom, Kingpin. Magneto are there helping and Dr. Doom cries because 9-11 happens in the Marvel Universe and all these villains who have done multiple 9-11s of their own (laughs) are so shocked and saddened by this, the real 9-11, that they had to come and help. And I just wanted to go back and read the whole thing. Just to see how we could have possibly gotten to uh, this point. It's awful. Uh, it's a terrible comic. But I just want to ask <laughs> all of you quickly, what's you, what was your first impressions? W- when did this come out? I should have looked that up. but It, it came out like, it, so it was, um, I should say, it, this was like not a planned issue, obviously. <laughs> you know, very far ahead of time mm-hmm. um, that they were putting it out. Uh, they interrupted the normal comic, but the, the comic that they were going to put out, the normal mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Uh, the, in fact, the previous issue ended on a cliffhanger where Aunt May finally, finally figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. And there was a cliffhanger, and then they did the nine eleven issue, and then they picked back <laughs> up uh, on the cliffhanger. So I, I don't know exact uh, date it came out. I I, I want to know. Oh, I, let me see. I would love it if it actually came out like somehow, like as the towers were falling or something. <laughs> it turns out that it's actually become part of the like official nine eleven conspiracy lore. Like it's like Tower Seven, but for the Marvel universe. <laughs> I think I think it came out. Let me let me double check. I see the Mar. I'm looking at a Marvel Unlimited, but Marvel Unlimited is just like the most awful thing in the world. It says December first, two thousand one, that it was published. So, so a couple, of, so a little bit after actually, uh, the towers fell. That's when it came out. Okay, I guess that makes a little more sense than because I, I didn't know if this was like some weird nine eleven anniversary thing or or I don't know. I I thought the. The art was ugly and it was distasteful and strange. <laughs> like it's got like, especially you listed the other villains, but it's got like Doc Ock and the Juggernaut. Yes, <laughs> it seems so disrespectful. Like if if you're trying to be, I understand like maybe Captain America, for yeah, this kind of patriotic thing, but it's just a very very weird, uh, muddled. A lot of the the like, who's the narrator? What are they talking about? It's just like word, like all this like jumbled vaguely patriotic narration um, i believe the narrator is mr spider-man himself is oh it's it him not? oh it, it's, i think it's supposed to be but it's obviously the writer j michael straczynski who is an interesting guy pretty good writer for the most part but he was fucking uh on one about 9-11 a lot of writers <laughs> were a lot of writers were but yeah uh the narration as, as you say shannon is just like him talking through Spider-Man directly to mm-hmm. us and telling us what we have to do in response to 9-11. And how we should feel and, and how upset Scarlet Witch is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't... Uh, I, I think this could have been worse. I thought it would be worse. 
I think there was at least like some attempt to like equivocate or be like, you know, yeah. this is don't just, but it was just, uh, it, like I said, it could, a lot of post 9 11, especially like living in the South and the way that country music went was very violent and like uh, scary. But uh, yeah, this is just distasteful and weird. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll maybe say uh, something nice about it. I thought it was very healing. Uh, <laughs> as as I was, I mean, we all remember where we were that fateful day, and a lot of us had the same question. You know, Spider Man lives in New York. Why couldn't he have prevented this? And this comic, I think, helped give us a little bit of closure on that issue. Yeah, he basically yells through the narration. No one could have prevented this. I couldn't have done anything. Leave me alone. Like yeah. it's really weird. It's it, it happened. It's a recurring thing. It's like no one could have predicted this. No one could have predicted this. I'm like, I'm wondering if like Dick Cheney got Joe Caseda on the horn and like, look, I need to make clear that there was no way we could have possibly predicted or prevented this, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that the people who wrote this comic, like like uh, Noam Chomsky's interviews, were not being were not playing on the CNN feed that was at the Marvel <laughs> office. I mean. Some something I'll say about it, uh, which is not a defense of it, but maybe an attempt to empathize and understand it is uh, obviously there was a lot of fear and confusion and sadness and a lot of a lot of heightened emotions and people trying to figure out what to do with those emotions and where to channel them. And I would imagine that if you were writing Spider-Man comics at this time, um, you're, you're watching these images on the news and thinking, what is what is heroism in this world? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? What am I doing to help when there's all this suffering? And um, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that this is the right place to channel all those emotions. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I think there's something quite um, sincere and raw in this comic that I find maybe pitiable is the right word. Yes. And I also think the comic, as bad as it is, could have been worse I mean, it ends with that group shot of a bunch of Americans and they are careful to put several Muslim people in there, uh, a, a Jewish person, some black people. A Nation of Islam member. <laughs> yeah, Nation of Islam, incredibly enough. So there is an attempt to give this sort of um, we are all American um um, well, so something that's not as racist, frankly, as it could have. If, if Frank Miller, say, were writing a comic, oh, like this. I would want to read that comic. Well, well he I mean, did. <laughs> he did write one. He wrote. Uh, it's called Holy Terror. I haven't read it, but it's basically oh. he originally pitched it to DC and it's like, all right, I want Batman to fight Al Qaeda because they're the worst <laughs> villains in the world. And I haven't read it. Haven't heard any good things about it, but. Uh, I will just say in defense of Frank Miller, he has come out recently in interviews and said like 9-11 did drive him out of his mind. And he had a lot of personal issues going on then, too. So he's kind of taken a step back from like that far right jingoistic uh, uh, stuff. He seemed quite, you know, kind of contrite in the interviews I've read recently. So maybe, you know, check out, you know, give give Frank another shot. He said he was going through a lot. Okay, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, a, possibly a cynical reading of this comic um, is, and I think actually this probably applies more to a lot of the 9-11 culture that has sprung up in the 18 years since, where on every 9-11, 
uh, I don't know, Burger King or whoever will have to have their obligatory 9-11 tweet yes. or some brand like that, Walmart. And it, The best you know, one I saw this year was the Lido pizza that did the American flag pizza where the stars were olives and the stripes <laughs> were <pepperoni. laughs> My Very favorite tasteful. of all time was I think it was Peter Mayhew, who, of course, played Chewbacca in the Star Wars movies, had this – uh, tweet once of like the twin towers and next to it was Chewbacca with his head down very solemnly and it was like the Wookiee roars. <laughs> oh. oh my god. The the thing that the thing that struck me about this and which I think is kind of common to all 9-11 paraphernalia of this kind is a sort of breaking of the fourth wall of the universe, which is kind of the structuring device that all these things use. Like um it made me think of if you guys have seen it the West Wing uh 911 episode that's called Isaac and Ishmael where it begins with the cast out of character like speaking like as themselves but like then the whole episode is about uh you know it's like in the West Wing universe but it's kind of out of time like it's not it's like not a it's not canonical with the others and this one kind of does the same thing it's like uh, 9-11 was, you know, it shattered, uh, it shattered everything so much, it shattered everyone's perceptions that, uh, you know, the trauma had to extend to like fictional universes. And even, even they, even the realm of fantasy had to kind of like bend around this kind of collective trauma. Um, and, and so like, that's why I love the panel, uh, in this comic with the, with the villains. Cause that's like, like, those are the Democrats, right? Those are the Democrats <laughs> rallying around the president in this, <laughs> in this time of, uh, in this time of need, uh, which of course was the, was the right thing to do. And was definitely not at all like a, a, a cop out to, you know, the imposition of a ton of repressive, uh, anti-terror laws and like unrestricted, uh, mass murder abroad yeah well we are all americans even though um dr doom is latvarian uh magneto is i think <laughs> eastern european juggernaut i think isn't he like south african like um like, the, like most of the villains that like you could have like gotten like the small time villains who aren't mass murderers together for this right like there's plenty of like villains who can like play both sides i don't know that much about marvel but certainly in dc like most of the flag rose gallery they're not like hardened murderers so you could see them like help captain cole trying to help out or some shit like that it's, it's like how when you see like old mob movies like the mob guys are always like weirdly patriotic and stuff like um there's that scene in sopranos where like christopher is talking about not that's an old mob movie but like where he's talking about like uh like everyone's freaking out about al-qaeda and he's like he's like didn't you hear the president's like pretty soon the whole fucking world's gonna be under our control don't worry about it it's like these are guys who are like uh constantly just evading the cops and like <laughs> live completely outside of the law and like don't pay taxes i do believe the kingpin probably would have been down at ground zero though because he would have seen real estate prices plummeting yes. after <laughs> and like, okay we can do some business down here <laughs> Like that's that's a story to tell because if you want if you had to had to I don't know why you would but if you had to put 911 in your superhero universe there are ways to do it that aren't just this really like discordant and cloying sort of thing where you have Magneto who in the in the current in the X-Men run that was that happened like right after this really near to this did like 9-11 himself to New York City, 
the, the <laughs> new X Men. Yeah, the new X Men. Grant Morrison, like, there's in the there's panels. I swear to God, of him like th- destroying airplanes in the air with his powers, and he destroys the Statue of Liberty. Well, that's like that's the Democrats that voted against the Patriot Act. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, but it's just so bizarre. Like, why? What? Like, so? And what does that say? And what what bothers me about like. Even the genocidal supervillains see how bad 9-11 is, is the problem with all of our perception of 9-11, where we think that because it's the worst things that happened to us, you know, the United States, it's the worst thing that has ever happened to anyone. It's worse than anything that we could possibly do or even conceive of. That's why when Spider-Man in the first couple of pages is saying no one could have predicted this because uh, the, uh, the same world will always be vulnerable to madmen because we cannot go where they go to conceive of such things. We dropped an atomic bomb on mm-hmm. two cities and we still think 9/11 is the worst thing that's ever happened in the world and that's and when you bring out those supervillains to basically say the same thing oh this is so much worse because it's happened in the United States it just makes americans you know blind um dangerous violent pathology all the more uh worse and deadly for the rest of the world the comic is inconsistent on um he- a, a single human's capacity for evil because at one point spider-man says even the worst of us however scarred are still human still feel still mourn the random death of innocence which i mean if, if you prick me do i not bleed <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's not true because i i don't think john bolton mourns the random death of innocence i don't think donald trump does but even in the universe of this comic uh, do the terrorists mourn the random death of innocence? Are they the are or are they are, are they do they not count as human in this, no, they're mad in this universe? Right, they're right. Mad they're people. they're mad and they're insane and they're in a different well, category. But I think in the immediate aftermath of nine eleven, I mean, my recollection was that it took, I mean, a few days for like the the initial feeling was just this you know tremendous shock and then this kind of like very. Um, very like earnest, but but like vague and non-articulated kind of you know national unity. And in Canada, you know, we actually kind of had the same thing. You had people putting like American flags in their windows as kind of like a gesture of solidarity and stuff. But I seem to remember it took a little while before you know, like the Bush administration had like fully worked out its kind of like war on terror messaging and stuff. Like what they did is they kind of gathered as much of the uh, the earnest sentiment first, and then they. F- like while they figured out how to channel, you know, channel it. And then all the like bellicosity and like militarism kind kind of came in like shortly after, because I don't remember, uh, it took like a while. Like when I say a while, I maybe mean just a few days before the like attackers themselves kind of became the like center of the story in some way. And then we started hearing about like this thing called Al Qaeda that was like the, the the most the, the most terrifying like nemesis that you've somehow never heard of until this moment. Yeah, like it. I, I think it took a while for it to reach like to be used um, by the Bush administration to gin up war in Afghanistan and Iraq. But I do think it's important to point out like a lot of people are having this sentimentality about oh all Americans were united in that time like. 
Yeah, uh, in some respects, but also there were like a lot of hate crimes going on immediately mm-hmm. in the aftermath of 9-11. I remember in, in my town of Baton Rouge, uh, there was a chain email being spread around that the, like this owner of like the sandwich shop, shop who is Muslim was celebrating 9-11 or, or, or some shit like wouldn't serve white people or some, some made up shit to like try and get this guy killed. That was happening also across the country, uh, in the media aftermath 9-11. Some people were hurt. Some people died. So this, like, that's that fake nostalgia about, oh, we were all together. We all wanted to help each other. And like, I, I, it's, in on TV, yeah. In real life, not so much. Especially, I want I want to know what Muslims uh, thought, how they felt uh, in the aftermath of nine eleven. Well, this comic also ends on a bit of an ambiguous note because most of it is this sort of, I guess, uh, uh, vaguely liberal message about how we're all we're all together and we're all united, and uh, uh, th- th- this breaks us out of our uh, complacency and make and gives us common cause again. And then it, and then it climaxes with this, this point of, but the enemies, whoever they are, are going to hear us roar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it tries to kind of play it both uh, ways. Cause, like, cause this is a very confused comic politically. <laughs> like there's literally is like one panel on the left where he's like, he's showing like a war room with like targets on a drawn on a map. Um, uh, and saying, you know, we're going to dry- strike, um, blows for infinite justice. Uh, that's what the U S mil- various, uh, Islamic style targets. <laughs> yeah. And then on the, on the media, right. There's a, uh, some women show women wearing um, full, you know, burkas and saying, but while you're striking those blows for innocent justice, make sure that, um, you know, you realize that all wars have innocence and we can't be as bad as them or the war is already lost. So it very much is that liberal sense of wanting to have it both ways. You want to, you know, wage wars, but you also want to pretend like when you kill a bunch of innocent women, that it's not your intention. That's not who you really are. Yeah, and a lot of the most ominous commentary from Spider-Man in this comic. (laughs) (laughs) What a a ridiculous sentence. (laughs) Towards the end of it, when he's talking about how, you know, our response will come in the thunder, that commentary comes over images of immigrants on a a ship coming to Ellis Island and and then over that um, rainbow colored uh, parade of american citizens as if to say yeah you know we're going after the enemies but uh, don't worry we're not racist (laughs) (laughs) one thing that this comic and americans in general don't grapple with at, at all is like why anybody might want to attack america for any reason like uh they like the only kind of explanation in this comic they show like these this image of like a mosque and in the background are like like the bad muslims uh waving like ak-47s in the air while the good muslims are in the foreground you know like looking very sad and somber and the caption is madness in mosques shouting down 14 centuries of earnest prayer forgetting the lessons of crusades past and so like the idea is just that like there's a segment of aggressive muslims who just want to wage uh the crusades again i but from what i remember about the crusades 
it wasn't Muslims going somewhere else to wage that war. It was Europeans attacking Muslims for the most part. And we kind of, and the, the comic makes no mention of like, of course it wouldn't, but like our military bases all over the Middle East, um, the covert wars, all the bombings are all that, all that stuff that makes people like, uh, have a reason to want to attack, uh, the United States. And there's no mention of that or even like conception of that in Spider-Man's world, apparently. Yeah. And there comes a point when the, I guess, ignorance of the writers of the comic becomes willful because I mean, it's not like this information. I mean, the information was hard to come by at the time, but it was there if you wanted it. There was, there's a lot of, there was a lot of um, uh, shrugging of shoulders and saying, gosh, why, why does the world hate us so much? Um, why would anybody do this? But I mean, you know, whenever somebody, you know, a Chomsky or a Vidal or a Susan Sontag would go on TV in the immediate days after, they would be immediately shouted down. And it was really just... If the, indeed they were invited on TV at all, which right. normally was not the case. So, you know, uh, it, it's really more about the question than it is the answer. Yeah, and Shannon, you mentioned that you didn't like uh, the art. I I like John uh, Romeo Jr.'s art generally. I actually thought the art in this kind of was uh, mostly all right. But the best artistic panel, and this is really bizarre to me, is that splash page where they show the fallen towers. And I'm just thinking about like... So these are this really this is the thing that really happened and like he put so much effort into rendering all this death and destruction. And I'm just like, how do you how are you drawing that and thinking what you're doing is like a good thing for the world for <laughs> yeah, a it, comic book? It, it's monstrous, isn't it? I mean, it, like <laughs> it's, it's so drawn weird. with the love of just any comic book battle scene. I mean. You know, after after the Holocaust, there were artists in every medium asking questions about what are what is the responsibility of de- of depicting a tragedy at this scale? Can it be depicted? Um, and you know, you you think that, it, or it seems that the people who made this comic, like basically regarded the tragedy as just another cool vista. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people criticize Schindler's List for being yeah. disrespectful to the Holocaust and like, what is this compared to Schindler's list? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so weird. Cause it is this like realistic rendering of all these buildings. And then this like nuclear comic book, bright glowing, uh, yellow light in it. And then Spider-Man saying God in the corner. <laughs> it's very weird. I think I don't like the way that faces are rendered. A lot of the faces look the same to me, but then like you said, the, the actual structural stuff, the buildings are beautifully drawn. Um, and kind of more consistent and detailed than the people in it. It's nice that we can find like you know one nice thing to say. About <laughs> yeah, I mean there there is beauty in this comic used in the service of evil. <laughs> I can't get and, over that know, panel. Captain America's ass is very nicely sculpted when you see him from behind. So Spider Man's. <laughs> yeah. Did you like Captain America's cameo, by the way? <laughs> um, I guess it was inevitable. <laughs> I mean, who who was the real victim of nine eleven? I think it was Captain America who had to had to watch an attack like this twice in his life. Yeah, the fir- I, I was wondering what was the first time? Was it uh, Hiroshima or was it Nagasaki? I thought it was Pearl Harbor. <laughs> 
where we, we of course, were the, Me, the yes. sole victim. It's yeah. all about, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, Captain America was the one who dropped the bombs, I think. Uh, <laughs> it, did, it did that, did that, pro, it's a bit of a digression, but that sort of like forgettable Pearl Harbor movie, did that come out in the 90s? Did that come out after 9-11? Oh, it came out summer 2001. It came out huh. mere months before 9-11. Huh. But, oh. uh, okay, well, it's sort of, uh, I mean, it, that, that kind of uh, eliminates the hypothesis I was going to do that that was like a 9-11 movie, but... um. I feel like that movie just kind of like was was forgotten, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it must have been like eclipsed by all of the sort of like nine eleven cinema that came out. People were too busy watching like Rain Over Me and stuff. You know, it's <laughs> funny to remember that in the months and weeks after nine eleven, there was a lot of talk in the media about are people going to want to keep seeing really violent action movies after this? <laughs> there were a lot of movies that were delayed for months. Collateral damage. Yeah. Collateral damage with Arnold Schwarzenegger is an example uh, because yeah, there was this thought, Oh, people don't want to watch stories of terrorists and buildings being blown up anymore. And then of course, I mean, you know, every action movie since then Mm -hmm. has been the, the suppressed trauma of nine 11 manifesting itself on screen. Man, I remember I used to play, um, if you guys remember that website mini clip where it was like, you could, it was like, like free kind of like flash games and stuff. And I remember there were a whole bunch of like, like there was a, there was a, there were a whole bunch of kind of like post nine 11 style games, like shooters and stuff. Um, and like in retrospect, it is just crazy how like overt and like violent these things were. Like, I remember there was one that was like the number one game on mini clip for a long time. It was called, uh, the Bush shootout and you play as George Bush and like, the quote unquote terrorists, um, you know, attack the White House and you just have to like shoot them all with a machine gun. <laughs> and that was like the most popular game on this like very popular website. I don't know who thought that there wasn't going to be like violent media after 9-11. There wasn't going to be an appetite for it. But I mean, it was uh, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and like you mentioned, we talk about on the show, like we uh, when we talk about superhero movies, we rate the climatic battle at the end by how many 9-11s is it and how good <laughs> the 9-11 uh, looks. By, by, by far, the best 9-11 is the one uh, shown at the beginning of Batman vs. Superman can't be topped. Um, but all the Marvel movies have like tons, at least especially the Avengers have tons and tons of 9-11s happen in them. So I, I, I don't know, just something happen because you you know in the 90s like most superheroes they were just like fighting super villains it was almost like a pro wrestling thing right like the like mm-hmm. like especially with the x-men like they were always just fighting the other mutants like just to fight them there weren't always this massive destruction happening to cities and towns and normal people like we were kind of like not involved it was just kind of this show between these you know these heroes and these villains find each other you know away from all that but i feel like after 9-11 it's always about the massive destruction it's always about that something that adam curtis pointed out in hypernormalization is that there was this wave of movies in the 90s like independence day and godzilla um some some other kind of neo disaster movies like that that i'm forgetting now that um the buried thesis of them is okay it's the end of history and everything is as good as it could possibly be the soviet union's not there anymore but what would it be like 
as a thought experiment if this perfect society fell apart. Well, and, and that's why 9-11 was such a, um, I mean, it was such a boon to the American right and helped and helped like American conservatives um, kind of reclaim their, you know, their lost, uh, their lost dynamism. You know, William F. Buckley was interviewed in the 90s about the state of conservatism. And he said, well, you know, it kind of sucks uh, because, you know, the Soviet Union's gone and like conservative, you know, conservatism requires like an enemy to kind of marshal the people around. Like, how can you have, you can't really keep nationalism going. You can't like keep uh, the kind, you know, the kind of jingoism that's like necessary for American conservatism, unless you can name an enemy and kind of portray it as a threat. Um, doesn't, it doesn't really work. And that's why, um, you know, after nine 11, uh, people either turning to the right or already on the right. Uh, you know, if you read the accounts, uh, like, you know, Christopher Hitchens is a good example. Like, you know, he talks about how he, uh, how just excited he was. Um, and, uh, or, um, uh, Ross doubt that in one of his books. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's him. I don't want to misquote him, but I'm pretty sure he says, you know, he felt a sense of kind of exhilaration, you know, um, because they thought, Hey, uh, we can, you know, we can do nationalism again. This is going to be, this is going to be great. We finally have an enemy to rally around. And that's, and, in, you know, and that's in the oh, comic sorry. too. That's in the comic too. Cause there's a panel that says you want to send a message and in so doing you awakened us from our self-involvement message received. Look for your reply in thunder. So even Spider-Man is on board with the raw style <laughs> plan of let nine 11 happen. And then, you know, uniting the country behind a right wing agenda. Leslie, you were mentioning Batman versus Superman a moment ago. And the the, the previous movie in that franchise, Man of yes. Steel. I mean, I remember going to see that. And uh, whoever the villain is in the movie is about to destroy the city. And he's got the big city destroyed. General Zod. Put some respect on right. his name. <laughs> uh, my apologies. Uh, Michael Shannon. Uh, he's, he's got the big machine that's going to destroy the city. And I'm, I'm waiting for Superman to come and, and stop the machine. But then the machine starts and it keeps going and going and going. And pretty soon, about six blocks of downtown Metropolis have been destroyed. And so the thesis of that movie is, well, actually, great destruction has to happen, you know, like Superman coming in and saving everything is morally wrong somehow. Like like we as a society have to suffer in order to deserve Superman. And that's really bothers me. There's a great bit in the Red Letter Media review for Man of Steel where he's talking about there's an old woman in the theater who would have grown up watching like the Superman serials or cartoons or whatever. And he like hums the old Superman theme and then he's like, nine eleven. <laughs> it's just sort of like the contrast and what is like this representation of America. This must be like a very positive, heroic thing. And then it's just like buried in this like weird. And it's so perverse too. what, what you were talking about, where people just openly celebrated it or the way that it is kind of openly celebrated in this comic too, or rallied around. It's just sad. Um, both nine eleven and Columbine happened when I was in elementary school. So I never really got to like live in a world that like where people's brains weren't broken <laughs> from all of this. Uh, I apologize to you, Shan. I was in college <laughs> um, when this happened. I, I didn't do the question um, that you have to ask whenever you talk about nine eleven. Where were you when it happened? 
so I was like waking up to go to school that day and like we just saw it on TV and we said basically, oh, that looks like a movie. And that was kind of, huh. And then we went to class. That was kind of our reaction because we are very far from uh, New York. None of our mm-hmm. teachers cared except for my sociology professor because I think he knew what was going to come next, uh, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think uh, Luke or I probably have like very dramatic stories about it, but I, I certainly remember the um, confusion uh, at my school when, because this was, of course, before people had cell phones. So you would hear about it, like people who went home for lunch that day would hear about it from their parents. And so towards the end of the lunch hour, there were rumors on the schoolyard of, oh, there, there were bombings in New York. Um, and nobody quite knew what it was. And then eventually there was an announcement from the principal in the afternoon and uh, nobody rolled in a TV to show us what was happening. So um, I, I just remember the feeling of uh, confusion and shock and the frustration of not knowing what actually was happening. I don't, uh, I have like not even any, yeah, there, I mean, I think they, they told us on the playground and then, and then we all they went told home. you on the playground? I, 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 uh, <laughs> that's where I remember, I, that's where I remember hearing about it. I should just say, so the exil- the quote about 9-11 being exhilarating, my mistake, not Ross Douthat, it was, it was Christopher Hitchens who said that and Ross Douthat quoted it in an article in the Atlantic. So that's what the confusion was. Not a fan mm-hmm. of Ross's, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, anyways, no, I don't have any interesting, uh. 9-11 memories to share. I lived in uh, like deep rural Ontario. So things like if ever there was a place where things just kind of rolled on as they had been, uh, it was it was there. Well, I lived in Toronto. So, of course, there were lots of people questioning, well, are the terrorists going to come for the CN Tower next? Which uh, was probably a little egotistical on Toronto's <laughs> part. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, when 9-11 happened. No one had, you know, cell phones. They didn't know really what was going on. And there was another depiction in media um, that, you know, depicted a similar situation where people were sitting on an airplane and they were just kind of getting, you know, some information about uh, something <laughs> tangentially related to 9-11. Um, this clip has gone viral, so we might as well uh, talk about it. Um, and that's the West Wing uh, death of Osama bin Laden scene. No, no, it was the, 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 the newsroom. Oh, newsroom. Excuse me. Newsroom. Uh, newsroom. Part of the Aaron Sorkin extended yes. universe. The newsroom um, scene where... Uh, the goddamn newsmen um, find <laughs> out. So I guess they found out before everyone else did that Osama bin Laden had been killed, and the weight, and it just shows the weight and the burden of that, you know, powerful, powerful knowledge that they have that a bunch of Navy SEALs shot up an old man, man and some women. Um, <laughs> the 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 tone of this scene and the tonal shifts in it are unlike anything I think I've ever seen before in an episode of TV. The fact that the first part of it has that like fast talking kind of overwrought Sorkin dialogue that could only be him. And this kind of like, I don't know, jokey, you know, this kind of jokey vibe where characters will just say two, two or three words, like back at each other, like really quick back and forth, back and forth. And then the, 
the captain comes out and he and you know the the character wait wait wait, at, wait you're going too fast he did oh i'm sorry had, i don't want to give away the ending you don't you don't want to you know spo- uh, forget the fact that he put that woman in her place uh, oh that's, that's right, right. The most yeah, that's important, important that's the most really the most important part of the scene so all all the news people are sitting and, and talk and all the other people are talking about the about the news around them and so goddamn freaking news <laughs> and so as as one does uh, one of the newsmen stands up and tries to take control of the situation because the normal plebes can't ha- can't process the news without the newsman telling him how to feel <laughs> and so he starts standing up saying like all he right just can't stand it yeah. just like ah. <laughs> He's like, all right, goddammit. And he starts trying to tell people the goddamn news, and this crazy bitch flight attendant, like, tries to stop him. Like, what the fuck? What is wrong with her? He's literally, you know, standing in front of the plane talking about terrorism, and the stewardess (laughs) is like, sit down. Crazy. It it starts like a Curb Your Enthusiasm bit, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. And so, uh, you know, obviously, as a flight attendant, she has no status no. in his eyes. But then out comes this uh, square jawed captain and the camera lovingly lingers over the, I guess, his um, like wings on the I on felt uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it felt like it felt like, a, fet- it felt like a, a fetish. It felt like a fetish. It's such a it's such a like leaden shift in the tone. It gets so like somber. And he's just like, you know, sir, I want to want to thank you for your service and to, to be the one to inform me that we we have we have we have eliminated Osama bin Laden or whatever. <laughs> he's, and, he says, I want to be the first to tell you. That the president killed Osama bin Laden for you, <laughs> for you, for you, him yeah. specifically. He killed him for the pilot. <sighs> well, Who, I, why? And I don't really get it because so are are like the staff at an airline. They're the troops now. Yeah. Like, is he is the pilot supposed to be? Like it connected to the military. Well, I guess if way? you're in media, they're the closest thing to a troop you get for <laughs> yeah. the most part. Like when you're flying between LA and New York, they are your troops more or less. <laughs> I like that this clip climaxes with all the news people sort of high fiving each other and saying, you know, we did it. We did what we're supposed to do. We told the news. And of course, watching the newsroom, we're taught to think of the news as something that goes out on TV or in print media. Um, but this this scene has this radical reconceptualization of the news as like newsmen as troubadours or traveling <laughs> performers who... Well, itiner- itinerant the, newsmen. The, the, the yeah. implication in the newsroom is always that if these guys like don't tell you that something's happened like it hasn't actually happened like like the the newsroom gives news people like this agency that it doesn't actually have like have as if they're like somehow causing the news or they have some kind of like they're participating in it somehow and uh, are we going to talk about this this clip of john cena (laughs) another (laughs) newsman Okay, so so what i love about this and the link between the john john cena announcing that um what does he say uh it's like we have compromised Osama bin Laden to his permanent yeah, end. Yes, in front of a live arena at uh, a WWE audience. And I do want to yeah. note that WWE has this clip on their YouTube with the title, <laughs> John Cena announces the death of Osama bin Laden. They're still so, proud of this. So he, so he announces this and then he gets down and he's just high-fiving everyone in the crowd. And he's like, I, you know, I was a hell of a hell of a time to be American or whatever. And what I like about this and and also the newsroom clip 
and this like you see this in a lot of like 9-11 stuff both like fictional and what actually happened is like the implication like so this john cena is like high-fiving people as if like they're somehow congratulating him for killing Osama bin Laden. And it's sort of like the, the news people on the plane, they think by announcing the news of bin Laden's death, like they like they've collectively yeah. killed Osama bin Laden. And that is what like that. This is a like crucial, I think, to understanding like the effectiveness and the kind of emotional potency of like post 9-11 jingoism is that. You know, everybody kind of got to like the way American militarism works is that it gets broadcast on things on CNN, um, you know, which like made its name during the first Gulf War by basically turning the war into like a fucking video game that you could watch <laughs> and feel like you were participating in. Yeah, it was the first all Twitch. The people, yeah, exactly. It was the first <laughs> Twitch stream. They uh-huh. Twitch streamed the Gulf War. I can't remember if it was CNN that broadcasted or, or another network, but there's like a really disgusting clip of like these journalists in a hotel or something as the bombs like are just like minutes after the bombs started falling on Baghdad. And one of them is saying into the camera, it's like a firework display on the 4th of July or whatever. (laughs) It's like even the journalists in Baghdad, um, as the city is being bombed are consuming it like a, you know, like a video game. Um, I think that was the first Gulf war, not the second one though. I could be wrong, but so, um, yeah, like the this is like the bread and circuses that uh, like the only time America can do any kind of social solidarity is when there's a war for everybody to get, you know, to get behind. It's like uh, all the like social solidarity that supposedly happened after 9-11, like, you know, it never seems to extend to like, you know, just like people that, uh, you know, die of overdoses or like suffer in crippling poverty or or whatever. Um, like war is like the only force that can give any of this meaning. And like the fact that this happens at a like in the John Cena clip, the fact this happening at a wrestling event where all these like people, many of whom are presumably like working class, are just like invited to feel like somehow they have like like it's like well you know we can't give you a decent standard of living, but we can get you like uh, the announcement that Osama bin Laden has been killed at fucking WrestleMania, and you can all cheer and high five the wrestler as if he somehow was like responsible for this. I also liked that when John Cena was talking, like he, like the big build up to his announcement was talking about the troops and how he personally uh, learns a lot. From hustle, the he learned he hustle, sort of, loyalty, and respect. That, that, that's right. And so by doing that, he has sort of like transubstantiated himself with the troops. So when you are when the audience members are shaking hands with him, like much like how a piece of bread can become the body of Christ. <laughs> he, has, he has become a true. Um, what is he saluting at the end? Is he just saluting oh, America? Generally? I think. No, yeah. no, it, no this is just... the thing about John Cena. Like at a certain point, like his character started off as like a white rapper. Like that was his gimmick. He was a white rapper and it was kind of started as a cop started he being like a you know kind of a badass tough white boy and then it became a sort of more comical kid friendly thing and at a certain point he became a troop even though as far as i know john (laughs) cena has never served in the military he would wear like he switched out his you know jean shorts for like camo uh, shorts yes his uh stolen valor camo shorts yes yes he does like john cena steals valor and people eat that shit up they love it 
it makes perfect sense to me because doesn't the military prey on, you know, uh, uh, underprivileged or marginalized youth, uh, uh, working class youth, uh, uh, people who are struggling to find some sense of identity. There's a lot of recruitment at like shopping malls yeah. and stuff. People, so people, why would people, John C. Yeah. as white boy rapper character eventually become a true? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is definitely, the character definitely would have signed up to go fight um, Osama bin Laden and kill him. And so that's why he's the one who had to make an announcement. Here's the funnier thing though. Here, Here's the thing that's going to freak you out if you don't know it. So before John Cena announced it, The Rock made a cryptic tweet that night before it was announced anywhere before it was announced anywhere. So John Cena was announcing it because everybody's like in the fucking arena and they don't know the rock on like Twitter, like basically announced that they had killed Osama bin Laden. He said, uh, there's some news that people have been waiting a long time for that just happened. And we're all going, and it's going to be great when y'all hear about it. That's basically what he tweeted. (laughs) And it was, and, Sure enough, a, few, a couple hours later, we get word that Osama bin Laden is dead. So I want to know, like, how did The Rock get <laughs> in to where he's in the loop about the killing of Osama bin Laden? Well, he was on the plane with the news people. <laughs> I think when you get a certain level of fame and power, you get added to a slack. So, like, uh, 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 Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and... Uh, Beyonce and I don't know, uh, 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 Warren Buffett, The Rock, so the, the, the White House Hamilton slack, they're all in on that. See, yeah, I, I think I actually think it's something much like nerdier than that. I think like the operators are just fucking nerds and starstruck, and like The Rock meets him on like a USO tour or whatever the fuck, and now they text each other and they're text buddies now because they want to oh, be yeah. cool with The Rock. I think that's more what happened. I love you. You mean you mean like the troops that were involved in the raid yes. or like. I, I love the idea that like they you'd participate in a raid and then the the first thing that would come to mind is oh I gotta tell the Rock about this. <laughs> I mean, if I, I were texting surprised. buddies with the Rock, I mean the Rock likes to position himself as sort of a symbol of America. So if I were on the raid and I were texting buddies with the Rock, uh, perhaps I too would be f- sort of flattered by that friendship. I, I love the idea point. that it's like when you participate in like a significant military you know uh, operation, the first call you get is from the Rock, the second is from the president. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hierarchy. I, I, well, that's why uh, the United States should institute a monarchy. So you have <laughs> you have like a, a, a head of state, and that can be the Rock. Yeah, and you have a head of government, and that can be you know Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so the Rock tweeted, um, "Just got word that will shock the world: land of the free, home of the brave. Damn proud to be an American." And he tweeted at ten twenty four. About, uh, like, like, way, like, before, like, um, the president announced or anything. So he knew. He knew. Huh. Was it which newscaster? Was it uh, Wolf Blitzer? It was like somebody got, like, they, one of the networks got the news and decided to announce it just like minutes before Obama did. Like, just, like, for no, like, just so that they would have, like, just so, like, one of the media talking heads could be the one to like deliver the news. Well, they're god, they're god, they're goddamn newsmen. Is what they do. Is the news. <laughs> and if they hadn't delivered that news, then the raid might as well never have happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, before we wrap up, I, I just want to say one thing. Olivia Munn's character is, uh, is named on on newsroom. Her name is Sloane Sabbath. Sloane 
Sabbath. How is that a name of a person? <laughs> They're going all the is Don Kiefer, Nim Sampot, Sloan Sabbath. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a minor thing. I just think Aragon Sorkin is probably one of the worst writers to ever exist. I can't. Well, he's got a bit of an ego. So, you know, an Aaron Sorkin character has to be an Aaron Sorkin character. <laughs> all right. So any final thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man number 36, the 9-11 issue. I just think uh, on days like today, it's important to think about the things that bring all of us together and not the things that, uh, that, that, that divide us. That's, that's the note <laughs> I'd like to end on. So, something I've noticed on Twitter, maybe in the last two 9-11s, is that it, 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 it has become... That's the new unit of measurement of time. How many 9-11s since X, Y, or Z happened? Uh, it has now become possible to make jokes, uh, not about the tragedy itself, but about all the paraphernalia and um, the kind of corny platitudes and the, uh, the sort of the tackiest iconography around it. And I believe that that has been a positive thing. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah, that was like half my timeline yesterday. <laughs> and And that has only happened very recently, I think. I think that... Uh, a few years ago, even if you had made a joke about uh, e- even an artifact like uh, Sp- Spider-Man's like how 9- da- 9-11 how- vacation. <laughs> how dare you besmirch Burger King's earnest tribute to 9-11? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on where you were, because on the forums I was on when I was younger, there was a lot of that. There was perhaps too much of that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. You went on somethingawful.com or something, yeah, but uh, cer- certainly not publicly. <laughs> no. All right, folks. Uh, Luke, Will, where can people find you in your amazing show? Find me at uh, Luke W. Savage on Twitter. Uh, you can find our show, uh, Michael and Us, at SoundCloud uh, or on uh, Patreon. should be easy enough to find Will. It's on some other platforms as well. Oh, too, it's right? on uh, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get a podcast. And uh, you can follow my shenanigans at Will Sloan at ESQ, which means Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> Really? That's what it means? I always thought that uh, it was like... Ask? I like, thought it was like, like Will Sloan-esque, like, like the, the quality of Sloan, <laughs> Sloanism. No, well, that would be if you put a, a U-E uh, at, at the end. Okay. Uh, well, well, we're going to have this debate off live, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us, guys. Right, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Have a good one. Peace. Like what you hear, want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.